Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, presented by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we catch up each month with current stars, rising stars, and legends from the past from USA Water Ski and Wake Sports and its nine sport disciplines. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Welcome back to the Hit It Podcast as we kick off Season 3 here in 2024 with Hall of Fame water skier Camille Duvall. At the time of her induction to the Hall of Fame in 2003, USA Today hailed her as the best-known female water skier in history. That's right, the 43-time Pro Tour champion, five-time Masters champion, five-time Coors Light Pro Tour slalom Grand Prix champion, and 1985 World Slalom Champion joins me in the virtual studio to talk water skiing. We cover a lot of ground and a lot of topics, including the Pro Tour, water ski design, brands, marketing, you name it. There is a lot to learn in this episode as we catch up with one of the most famous water skiers of all time. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode with Camille Duvall. Well, welcome back to the Hit It Podcast. I have a legend in the studio here today. Camille Duvall joins me. Welcome, Camille. Hey, glad to be here this morning. Thanks for inviting me. So good to have you on the podcast. You know, sometimes we kind of put out things in email blasts and who do you want to have on the podcast? And Camille Duvall always rises to the top. So this, actually, this episode is actually going to be released in 2024, so you're going to start off the year in 2024 for us, and so we're super excited to have you on the podcast. Before we get started here, just wanted to catch up. What have you been up to these days? Well, in 20, at the end of 2018, I got um, recruited to come to California, so that was a big move for me. I lived in New York City for over 30 years. And I got recruited to come out and run the Sierra Sotheby's real estate office, which I've been doing now for 25 years. So yeah, that was exciting. A nice lifestyle change for me. I still do water ski every day. I learned to snow ski when I came out here. I'm a rock climber. I'm a cyclist. I mean, paddleboarder, like this is heaven for me. So I'm very, I'm really excited to be here. Loving my new life. Well, very cool. And we know recently the 50th reunion happened at Jack Travers for the world tournament. So Around social media, we saw pictures popping up of you and your brother, and there was so many legends and names and people who showed up for that event. I, w- I wanted to start there and just kind of catch up with you. I'm sure that was a- an amazing reunion. It was. I mean, I was delighted when I got the call from Jim Clooney to come down and help. He and Brett Thurley, Ronnie Barton, Kim Laskoff kind of put it all together. Those were all legendary names right there in the sport. And so I was delighted to be able to come down and do it. And Jack and Leilani were a huge part of my life from the time I, just like many of those skiers, from the time I was a teenager till I was an adult. So it was, I was delighted to be able to go and do it. It was so fun to see all friends, all the old friends, and also to recognize what the Travers, not only Jack and Leilani, but JT and Natty and all the people have done for our sport and the way they're keeping it alive and moving in the right direction. So yeah, it was it was an honor and a thrill to be there. It was just it was a beautiful event, and I think it was funny because there were a few people that I was on the like Dina and I. We don't see each other all the time, but it was like we never 
we never been, had been apart. She's like, Camille, we need to do this. We've got some pictures. Can we? <laughs> so <laughs> that was sort of that was sort of fun. It was like we picked up where we where we left off, but we're just not skiing to, against each other anymore. So kind of cool. Sure, sure. Tell us a little bit about the history of your involvement at Jack Travers Ski School. Like, when did you start skiing with Jack, and and kind of how did that develop throughout the years? I started skiing. I was very lucky when Sammy and I were skiing that our dad was always bringing in great coaches. Like we skied with Linda Giddens, Barbara Cooper Clack, Bellow Point. I mean, you name it, Ricky McCormick. They they've all been at our lake, and so my dad was looking for sort of that next step. And um, Jack was the he was the man. And in fact, I met Jack when I was 11 years old and I was at the McCormick Ski School down in Winter Haven, Florida. My dad had sent me there right before my first nationals. I think I'd qualified when I was 10 and I was going to the nationals. I was 11. He goes, you need to get powered up. So we went down to McCormick's and there were probably 10 boys and me. And one of the boys actually was Wayne Grimditch. He was a little bit older when he was there. So kind of cool to ski with all of those guys. But uh dinner times were sort of hard because i'm like a little brawny 10 year old girl and there's all these like hungry boys and i really wasn't getting much to eat and so jack took it upon himself to take me out make sure i had some food each day while i was going which so you know that was uh, the start of our relationship at, at that particular point in time when i was 11 but came back to ski with him different points throughout my career during the middle of my career even when sammy and i had our own ski school we would still go back to Jack's for a second set of eyes. And, you know, when you're out there skiing on the edge of the envelope and you're skiing with Sammy, me, Andy, Dina, Bruce, and Tony, mm. if those six people can't figure it out how to get to the next step, we'd go back to Jack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> figure out how we got to the next buoy or the, the next, you know, jump rung or whatever that would be. So, yeah, throughout throughout my entire career, I skied with him. And, in fact, I worked at the ski school there. I was the housekeeper and the cook, and I learned how to make spaghetti and a whole lot of different things <laughs> from Leilani. So they didn't only touch the skiing part of it, but they touched all of our lives in a lot of different ways and helped shape the people that we are today. Very, very cool. We recently had Jack and John on the podcast before the world tournament, and I, I told both of them, I said, you, you hang around the sport long enough, you will end up at Jack Travers at some point, whether it's at the ski school or a tournament or a world tournament. It's just amazing how they touch the sport. You mentioned some really big names that, you know, whether you were skiing against Dina or the Nevilles or or who have you through those years, I would like to kind of pick up there because when I think of Camille Duvall, I think of the Water Ski Pro Tour. And I wanted to get your perspective now looking back on it. I mean, you were really coming up through the ranks, through the rise of the Pro Tour one of the most famous skiers on ESPN probably would get stopped in public in Orlando and say, hey, are you Camille? I just wanted to get your perspective now as you have time to reflect back on those years. Well, I would say that all of the skiers who skied in the early 80s up to the early 90s were lucky enough to ski in the golden age of water skiing. And it was a confluence of events. We had a really amazing sponsor in Coors Light. ESPN was kind of in its youth and they really didn't have the big four and, you know, all that kind of thing. So we had the luxury and privilege and honor to be on national television every Monday night during the summer. I mean, it was, it was fabulous. We would go to the tournaments, we'd ski, we'd do our things. I worked on the commentary part of that, which I was lucky enough, Chris Carmody, who 
was one of the producers of the Olympics was working. We had very high level people working on the, on the television end of the sport then. And he was like, you should try this. You'd probably be good at it. And he was like, yeah, I just never stopped talking. So that's probably why, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, we, um, I did that and that was really fun and I enjoyed that. So we do all the interviews. They would, they'd have the television truck at the ski site. They would cut the one hour show overnight and then we'd go in in the morning, we'd voice over and then they'd beam it straight up to ESPN. So it was pretty, wasn't live, but it was pretty dang close to it. And we were just, again, really lucky to have that particular moment in time. And it was great for the growth of the sport in many ways. And, you know, it's very different than what they do now. And I'm, again, very proud of where the skiers have taken the sport to kind of get back to that pro level. But when I think when water skiing lost its television exposure, a lot of the sponsors pulled back that were outside sponsors and you need, you know, you've got to be on television or you just, you don't exist. Basically that was really, I think hard for the, for the sport in the nineties, two thousands, and then streaming started happening again. And that was a great venue for our sports. I'm really glad that we've embraced that. They're doing a fantastic job with, with all of that. So yeah, it was a, a great time to be a water skier for sure. Yeah, it, it's so cool to go back to those tapes. And I remember that my mom would tape those tapes and I would just watch them over and over and over again. And the one that sticks in my mind, you'd mentioned Wayne Grimdage is, I think it's 1988 Shreveport. I think you were coming back from an injury. Uh, you're in the finals. I don't think you needed to run the full pass. You end up running the full pass. And Wayne has a great commentary and call on it. He says, you know, Camille Duvall pouring on the coals. And then you win the event and then you come back and Sammy's jumping uh, later on in the show and you're doing commentary with Wayne as Sammy's jumping. And I was like, man, this is just awesome. You're competing, you know, in the event and then you're going into the commentary on ESPN. It just seems like it was an unreal experience. I mean, for sure. And I think not every, not everybody is suited for that. Like I got, always have a lot of things going on, a lot of irons in the fire. And I was also really lucky to have met in the early parts of my career. I, I met Billie Jean King and Anita de France and Donna de Verona, and they really were the leaders in, in bringing women's sports to the forefront. So they were always coaching me like, you, you know, you can't leave your sport how it was. You need to leave it better. You need to mm -hmm. do what you can do, use any celebrity that you have or any power that you have to move your sport forward. And they were very helpful um, for me to understand sort of what we needed as a, as a sport to get into the Olympics and to get into the US Olympic Committee. And it's just like, it's a, an amazing sisterhood of very, very smart people. And they are women and they are happy to have someone stand on their shoulders to get to the next level. Um, so yeah, that was that was part of my impetus for doing that. And then Sammy and I also had a really great sort of off the water coach who's a guy named Patrick Leahy and he had worked with a lot of the golfers and kind of honing your media skills and making sure you had a story and, yeah, yeah. and you could lead the interview if you needed to with different people. So I was very, very lucky to have had those kind of people in my life early in my career. And that, you know, that helps propel you to where you need to go. That's amazing you touched on that because that's one thing I do notice when I go back and I look at those recordings is that those interviews are just awesome. I mean, everybody seems to have a personality and that personality comes out. And and sometimes it's the good and bad and the ugly because they're putting a microphone right in front of everybody's face when they come off the water. Yeah, I even remember, you know, Sammy would always have his like 
new Oakley sunglasses on and we're checking those out and there was always something going on. So those interviews were so important. Well, you started as a three eventer and then the pro tour starts coming along. Of course, you were on multiple world teams and competing at that level on a three event level. When did you decide? Because it seems like you slalomed and jumped on the pro tour for quite some time. Did it ever just evolve just to slalom or how did you make that decision? Well, yes, you know, we were all three event skiers in our family. I am not built for trick skiing. I'm a tall, lanky person, even though I was, a, as a kid, I was a gymnast and I was, but I got so tall that I was swinging around hitting the floor. They put me on the diving team. So I always enjoyed that part of the sport. But, you know, at a certain point, and Sammy and I sat down and had like a, a real heart to heart about this, is that here's where you can make your money. Here's where your sponsors are liking you. Tricks, not your not your strongest event. However, I did, <laughs> this is kind of funny, held more national records in trick skiing. Um, I won a bronze medal in the world and I okay. won the trick skiing. So I okay. guess I didn't get it that much. That's um, legit. <laughs> but, but, you know, that took away from the practice for the solemn and the jump. And that that's where the money was. That's where the television was. So it was a hard decision to leave it behind, but I did. And it was it was good and clearly it was their right decision but at the end of my career we had a lot of trick skiers skiing at our lake and with us and kiko buzota from italy was kind of needling me and he was like you know you you should start trick skiing again i'm like i haven't trick skied in like five years and he goes like i bet you can't qualify for the masters and i was like hmm let <laughs> me see maybe i can so uh, jack had some of the masters qualification things i'm trying to think of what year this was um, I quit skiing in 93, so it was probably 92 because I mm. just had Alexander when I was 91 in 91. So I feverishly trick skied for a couple of weeks, went in, made the qualification wow. and got to the masters with that. And so, yeah, it was kind of fun. And to be able to sort of come off the sofa and trick 6,000 points, which today means nothing, but we had no flips then that were worth $500, 500 points. So, yeah, it was it was kind of fun. Enjoyed trick skiing. Very, very cool. And we had a, a brief discussion with Sammy about the Pro Tour and then kind of how things evolved into you being the organizers of the Pause Tour. And I wanted to talk to you about that because even in that episode a couple of years ago, he goes, you really need to talk to Camille about that. So <laughs> I'm here to talk to Camille about that. Tell us about kind of the ending or the beginning of the, the, the Pro Tour to the Pause Tour, what was going on and what created that dynamic? Actually, the, the real impetus for it was safety for the skiers. Unlike today, where we're skiing on a, they're skiing on a, we, <laughs> they're skiing on a lot of man-made lakes. We were skiing on, I mean, huge, huge, giant natural lakes. And so the wind would roll up and, you know, the back of the jump is lifting out of the water. And they're like, let's go jumping. We have 15,000 people sitting on the shore. Like, that's not cool. I mean, at a certain, at a certain point, you know, yeah, the show must go on, but you can't risk hurting someone. So that really was sort of my reason for starting uh, a skiers association was to be able to, I don't want to say assert our rights, but at least do some like create some safety things and, you know, and a, a group dynamic that would help work with all of the sponsors. So that's kind of how it got started. I happened to, and I was living in Orlando at the time, downtown in Orlando, and I lived next door to a guy named Bill Plamundon, and he was the CEO of Budget Rent-A-Car out of mm. Chicago. Very, you know, nice, 
beautiful wife, like really like just a fun kind of dynamic. And we got to talking about it. He's like, wow, that's kind of crazy that you do that. And we started talking. And the next thing I know, he's like, you know, could budget sponsor that? And I'm like, yeah, we travel everywhere. So kind of one thing led to another, the Make-A-Wish Foundation with Henry Landworth in Orlando. I mean, there was a lot of components that came in for the pause tour. And when we started trying to put it together, we went back to the other tour and all the sponsors and we said, hey, this would be great for everybody. It'd be great for the entire sport. What part would you like to do with this? I mean, we can divvy up the boats so the boats can each have, you know, if there's 12 events, I mean, we, there's, a, there's a way for everyone to be involved in this. Unfortunately, the other tour, which was managed by Waterski Magazine, they didn't want to do that because they own the tour. So they're like, we're going to do a separate tour. Forget mm -hmm. it. So we would be in Fort Worth or in Dallas. They would be in Fort Worth and they'd have all the events on the opposite. And the only thing that Budget Rent-A-Car wanted was to unite the sport and to have the only tour. So while it was incredibly successful for that year, we had live television, which, OK, I guess we do now with streaming. But then that was pretty cool. We went to Europe. We went to Japan. I mean, it was truly a worldwide tour in 1991. But at the end of the time, you know, budgets didn't want to be involved in that kind of like infighting in the sport. And it was really just too bad to kind of see where the sport went from 1991, you know, onward on the on the trajectory for professional events. So. Well, and I, I don't know if anybody from Budget Rent-A-Car is going to listen to this episode, but if they do. It's been 30 years since that commercial, and I still remember the jingle. You got to get where you are in a Florida That's budget right. rent. Good, car. I'm glad you hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's there. So it worked. The marketing has worked, and every time I go pick out a rental car, budget's at the top of my mind. Good. So the, the, the pro tour happens, all sorts of dynamics there. But one of the things Sammy and you are so good at is finding multiple ways to use the sport. So when I say that, you're either an athlete or you're thinking out at, from a sponsorship level or a business level, or maybe you're on the, the microphone. There's so many angles that you're taking at this. And one of those angles was ski design and ski development. You were with O'Brien for a long, long time. In fact, I would say my first real slalom ski was a Camille Duvall Pro with yeah. the pink. 64 inch qualified for the nationals when i was seven on that thing um, right yeah everybody gave me a lot of grief and then i and then i found out i think it was many years later freddie winter had a post and he skied on one too so i was right where i needed to be an amazing sure. ski. <laughs> so sure. i i wanted to ask you and i've had some time actually there was a, a tournament about five years ago me and pete surrett had plenty of time to be on the microphone just basically breaking down the history of water skiing and we were talking about O'Brien and they were cleaning out a bunch of stuff at the home office there's a lot of posters of you and skis and all that type of thing but from a marketing standpoint with O'Brien I mean you guys had commercials you had ads obviously you were winning you were on on top of the podium tell us a little bit about that experience yeah, I mean, that was like the biggest part of my skiing career. It all started, in fact, I was telling someone this the other night at dinner about, they were like, we were talking about kids skis. And I said, yes, in fact, Herb O'Brien was the person who sent me my first real slalom ski. It was the O'Brien Mach 1, and it was white with the double red racing stripes on it with blue binding. It was very cool. Very cool. But, you know, I mean, as soon as I got it, it was like, boom, you know, my skiing went straight up because I was skiing on a wooden ski before that. So 
always remember that. And he's a huge part of our sport and a huge part of the design of our sport. And I always felt compelled to work with them. I did have a stint with Cypress Garden Skis, which was kind of cool back in the day, but I got stolen back to O'Brien. So I was really happy to be there with them. And I worked with Mike Macklear and um, Bill Wiesner. I mean, those are great, great people. But I think the plus that O'Brien had over everyone else is they were owned by the Coleman Company out of Wichita. And the Coleman family were fabulous. They took all the water skiers under their wings. First time I was ever in a boardroom to talk about anything was there. So I got a great business education from being with those people and in in that particular arena and they didn't mind they didn't mind spending the money so yeah we had a beautiful ad agency out of um seattle that worked and i remember the first ad was a black and white double page ad it was just me standing with a ski and it said if you lost to camille duvall before you're in bigger trouble now (laughs) oh my god that's horrible people are gonna hate me and then it was like oh no (laughs) they thought it was kind of a cool a cool ad but um yeah they always took some kind of crazy tack like that and then i had you know the privilege and honor to get to ski with andy mapple through all of those years I'm like how cool is that i mean on on every single level so yeah it was a, a a great time i'm sure i'm missing somebody who i should thank through all of those all of those years but you know it was a it was a great great, great thing to do. And then sort of down the road, the opportunity arose to do Duvalski's. Sammy and I were kind of working toward, he'd worked with Dennis Kidder, who's a still a good friend. And he pulled his knowledge from there. I pulled my knowledge from there. And we came out with it in the, under one umbrella was Duvalski's on the super, on the super high end Kidder, and then Joby uh, sort of on the lower end, which because you can't, cannibalize everybody can't be the best ski company on everything but we had some really fun stuff like we would go to the pro tour stops we would work with our dealer we'd have them invite all of their best customers out to try our ski and they could ski on the pro tour site with us in the boat cool. I mean, that's where we sold a lot of skis yeah. I mean, that was that was pretty fun but hard to stay hard to stay at that level with technology and everything else and quite frankly taking a taking a cue from Martha Stewart if I had it to do all over again I would put my skis in Kmart and mm-hmm. I'd probably still have skis in Kmart today so <laughs> yeah no that's that's true you know it's interesting that you mentioned earlier that you really always had a story right so you always had a story if you were on the microphone at getting interviewed at a pro tour and I actually remember when and I don't think it was the launch yet of uh, Duvalski's, but you may have been a couple years into it, and you were talking about your slalom skiing, how it sat like a race car driver down in the car, right? Like the binding was actually on the ski, and mm-hmm. I still remember that. So it's just interesting how those stories stay with you. And that was another ski. I, I skied a couple seasons on a, on a Duval. So, man, if you weren't developing skis, I don't know what I would have been on. I would have been lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you chose the best. <laughs> Always you. the best. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the broadcasting side of it, because I was wondering, and and I know you've done a a podcast with Wade Cox, and I've talked to Wade a a couple of times about announcing and those types of things. And, you know, you you look at water skiing of of what you can do and the skills that you get from that, but did it open up other doors to other sports and other opportunities along your journey when you started announcing skiing? Uh, ab- absolutely. I got tapped right away. I had met a couple of the executives at ESPN and I got tapped right away to work on 
the first X Games. So my God, I don't know where we are in like 40 something X Games now. <laughs> I don't know. But it was pretty fun. I went in and I covered water skiing and I, I covered some of the bicycling, which is new to me. But, you know, it was kind of a cool, fun, interesting way to get involved in the sport. And then from there, I started working with Lifetime Television and I was a sideline reporter for the WNBA, which was also okay. in And uh, that was like really cool to be able to be a sideline reporter and uh, contribute to at the halftime show. So that was really fun. And then from there, that led to center ice on ESPN and my son Alexander was playing hockey and I was playing hockey. So that was kind of fun to be able to get to be a sideline reporter for center ice on ESPN. What? Oh, and then I had the show men's journal, which was also on ESPN, like a, a um, lifestyle travel show. And they needed, they had a really good host. He's still working in television. His name is Don Wildman. And he's like a super cool guy. Not, the best athlete. Sorry, Don, don't get mad at me. So they needed someone who could do the rock climbing and do the interview at the same time. And so we did like some of the most amazing things. I did my diving certification in Belize on camera. We whitewater rafted the Fudalafu in Chile, which was beyond, beyond. And, And some of those things really stoked my love of outdoor adventure, which is what I'm loving doing here right now. What else did we do on there? We were hang gliding, we really just did everything. It was a super fun, super fun uh, program to be able to do and enjoy doing it with Don. Don was like such, I learned so much about television working with him because I was kind of winging it because I was just like working on my sport. So this was totally different. And uh, he was a big help for me in that. Let me ask you this because, and you've done so many different things from, you know, marketing skis to television to now real estate. When you look back on your water ski career and the training that went into it, the discipline that went into it, talk to us a little bit about how that may have helped you in these other areas as you've been successful transitioning to other parts of life. Well, I think any professional athlete that gets to that level knows how to work hard. They know how to work under pressure. They know how to look out to the future and, and try to find ways to get better. And I think that carries over into any business thing that you do. And I think that for me, I mean, as a, as an employer, I would always like to hire an athlete because I know they know how to work. They know how to be accountable and that kind of thing. And I think that goes a long way in today's world, whatever you're, whatever you're doing. I mean, right now I'm uh, selling real estate in Lake Tahoe, California which I love and it's amazing and it's a beautiful resort area. So I'm selling one day, I'm, I've got a lakefront, which I'm selling. I can certainly talk about that to people. Um, <laughs> selling things over Slopeside and Olympic Valley and North Star and that kind of thing, paddle boarding. So, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle sale for me. So that, that makes it kind of uh, a little bit easier on that front of things. But yeah, it was definitely... I think it definitely helps in business because again, it teaches you to think under pressure and sometimes you have to. Absolutely. Well, let's let's go back to where we were at the top of the episode talking about the world tournament. Um, I assume that when you were at the tournament, you got to see some of the skiing, slalom, trick and jump. I, I like to ask this question to a lot of folks of your generation. What are what are the biggest changes that you've seen in the sport just from a performance standpoint from the skiers and how they're skiing today versus when you were skiing then? For me, like when I grew up, we were hand driving. Most of these people have never even had that. (laughs) They get in, they punch the button and the boat goes. 
yeah, it's it's a very different and and I still ski today. I didn't ski for 25 years and I went back to water skiing four or five, six years ago. I was training up at um Twin Lakes in outside of New York City. But the biggest thing for me is zero off, zero off. I mean, it, it yeah. changed the sport in a lot of different ways. I think it made it more uh, equal in, in many ways, but also you needed to learn. Like I couldn't figure out how to work with it. And finally we got, we were working with master. I still work with Mastercraft and they sent a boat out in the summer and it happened to be Freddy Krueger's jump boat. So we're, we ski at 6,000 feet. We're at, we're at elevation before we even get started water ski. And this boat, like they were like, it's a gorilla. Oh my God. And I got behind it and I was like, oh, I got it. All you got to do is like get in position and you are over there. And so I think, and that's a very simplistic way to put it. I'm sure people are laughing at me, all the young people <laughs> out there, but it like, I, I kind of could figure it out and it gets you there faster. There's more power. You're not generating it yourself. Well, you are, but it's a, it's a different, it's a different generation of power. You're leveraging that power. And sure. I think before with hand driving, the boat was kind of soft and spongy, and then you had to work with a spring on the backside of that. So yeah, I just think that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing I see how exciting for the girls to get to jump on a, on a big jump and with a little, with a little more speed. I think that's uh, pretty cool too, to see, you know, a woman jump 200 feet. I mean, wow, crazy. My longest jump was 154, but that was on a five foot jump at 30 miles an hour. Sure. You know? yeah. <laughs> Still got to cut hard to do that. There's no doubt hard. about it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. We, we had, um, Crystal point on the podcast and I was asking him that, of course, Chris, he continues to ski and he said, you know, I go back and I look at those pictures and I look at pictures now of skiing and, you know, my technique, he's just like, well, you know, back then that's just how you had to ski on those skis, you know? So mm -hmm. the technology changes along with the, the speed control systems and the way you leverage it and the way, way there's momentum and, and those types of things. And, you know, really as, as your career evolved, I mean, when you were really young, I'm, I'm thinking probably just now making the progression into, you know, getting off wood skis and going up kind of the journey of, of where technology is now, we're seeing skiers ski a lot longer. It's like, you know, they're skiing into their 40s and, and their 50s. And I just wanted to get your perspective on that because back then with hand driving and the conditions, I mean, if you're going and jumping in Whitecaps and Wichita, Kansas for a pro tour, it's just <laughs> hard on your body. There's no way around it. So maybe making the sport safer, the equipment, the speed control is probably contributing to that. What's your thought? I think you're absolutely right on that. And in fact, I was, I, whenever the pro tour comes to California, I always go because I, I enjoy getting to see everyone. And then again, I, I'm still a fan of my own sport. I love watching what they're doing. It's like super cool and fun. And that lake and Shoreline Lake is just so amazing. And I was, the jump looks great. And Freddie was there and I was like, oh, Freddie, you know, I really think Freddie Krueger, I'm thinking, oh, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, trying to jump again. And he said, Camille, let me, I said, but I think I would just disintegrate into dust if I hit the jump. And he was like, <laughs> you'd be surprised. He said, the jump is a lot longer. You're not just like hitting into a wall. It kind of yeah. launches you a little bit more. The boat helps you a lot more. And he said, that's why I, that's why I can still ski. And I mean, oh. and Scott Ellis skied in his last, the last worlds that were at Jack's. I mean, and he was in his late forties. So yeah. And, and I quit skiing when I was 33 due to a neck injury. So yeah, it's, I, I think it does help. And, you know, you also look at the, you know, the athletes when you, for instance, you brought up Crystal Point. I mean, Crystal Point was like, 
an oak tree when he was skiing. I mean, his shoulders were this big, his arms were this big. I mean, his back was this big and like all of the girls were taller and, you know, I don't know. It just like, I think the sport was, you had to create so much more energy around it. It just created these sort of, you know, huge physical specimen of skiers. That were sure, there. sure. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no doubt. Yeah, it's it's changed a lot. We were talking to your brother about that, even with the boats, when we were talking about outboard engines and jumping. You know, it's like, man, there was a period of time you had to adjust from an outboard engine back to an inboard and all of those things. And you were and you guys were doing that on the Pro Tour. And that was part of the marketing, though, for the Pro Tour, it looked like, right? Yep, um, absolutely. And I mean, when Yamaha came in, they were, I mean, I loved getting to jump behind those boats because there was so much more power um, behind them. But then you go to the flip side is, you know, back in the Masters, the Masters was run behind an outboard Hydrodyne twin rig. So imagine tricking behind that. I mean, like that is not that, that was not that was not that fun. Um, but yeah, you just kind of had to to roll with the punches and and do whatever you could do because I I do remember skiing in in Knoxville on one of the pro tour events and had a storm the night before and I'm cutting into the bottom of the jump and I feel something on my skis and I, there's a branch rolling up under my skis onto the jump ramp with me so yeah it's it was a little bit more rustic shall we yeah. say no it, it it definitely has changed a lot i was going to ask you this question you were inducted to the hall of fame and many years ago and and i'm looking at that right now and and all of the titles that you have you know 15 time national champ 43 time pro tour slalom champion five time masters champion five time coors light slalom grand prix champion the list goes on, of course, multiple championships uh, on the world stage with the world team. What, when you look at all of those things, is the one you're most proud of? Gosh, well, uh, let me say I've been incredibly fortunate to have that level of career and have so many people support me to get there. It's not something you do on your own. But I would say probably the most memorable win for me was the first win on the Coors Light Pro Tour in 1984. We all sense in the sport that this was the future. This is where the sport's going. And thank you, Rob Shirley, for your vision mm -hmm. and foresight and support and money and everything you've done to move our sport into that direction. But yeah, I mean, that one, that one really meant a lot to me. And it meant a lot because Dina and I, I think there were eight stops on the tour and we were, this was the eighth stop and we'd gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and she would win and I would win. And it was just, you know, neck and neck and neck. And we were skiing in in, uh, in Lake Lanier and outside of Atlanta, which is, I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. So that's kind of my stomping grounds out there. So as is the masters, you know, all those things kind of felt like yeah. home court to me because of where I grew up. But yeah, that one, I think that one was, you know, I'm very proud of that. And, you know, Dina and I also, you know, we've been joined at the hip our whole lives uh, since we were little, little girls. And it also meant a lot to me. She, she came in with the number one bib on and I had the number two. And after I won, she took her bib off and put it on me. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, that was cool too, to watch you guys compete because it was not only in slalom, but it was in jump. And then, you know, there was a, there was a period of time there. Like it looked like you surged ahead in slalom and then Dina surged ahead and jump, but you would still compete against each other. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, again we were incredibly fortunate we trained together too outside uh, you know again we mentioned andy and bruce and tony and sammy and me like all together and if you can't get better in that group i don't know 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're really set up for success in there. But yeah, I mean, we traded back and forth and I, we, there was definitely a rivalry there, but there was more made out of it in the press than there was between the two of us, which I think is interesting, but I think everybody needs a foil. I mean, everyone needs someone to compete against to make them the best they can be. And she, she was that person for me at that time. And um, so I thank her very much for that. And uh, yeah, we would be standing on that dock on Sunday at noon when they would be ready to go off with the women's jumping, just the two of us standing there every weekend. <laughs> doing yeah. their, okay, ready to go. Yep. Ready to go. Let's go. Yeah. It was, it was fun with that. And then uh, towards the end of the career, I mean, end of my career, people started catching up to me in slalom. And I mean, I think one year, maybe it was 86. I, I think I entered, I won every slalom tournament I entered. Okay. So it was just like one of those years. It's like, Wow, can't even Imagine. can't teach that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but we even we would we do like fun things like we have they used to have a tournament called USA versus the world. So the US key team would go versus the world on the point system. So for instance, Dina would go out and jump, you know, 140. So we didn't want to jump more than 140. We wanted to jump 140 so that we were that we could all get the thousand points um for the team standings and so we did the same thing in slalom so it was a, it was really fun to be able to do that kind of stuff and then as i got towards the end of my career jump skis got a little bit bigger and i think that was a huge help to me i mean i'm you know when i was skiing i was you know 511 about 137 and you know that's big for a girl i think that helped me a lot and in fact in 93 i did win the pro tour in jumping and Maybe it's just equipment. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure, but it's definitely helped some of the bigger skiers like Carl Roberge. I think that helped him too. As his skis got a little bit bigger, he's a big guy like I am. And um, so I think that helped him as well. So, yeah, very cool. Well, you brought up the word rivalry. And I wanted to ask you this question. We've talked about it a little bit on the podcast when it comes to USA teams, but that that span of that decade through the 80s, it was intense internationally. I mean, it was intense from team to team. It was intense. I think we talked to Sammy a little bit about this, even when, you know, uh, skiing against Patrice and some of the things there. And I, it things uh, look like they've changed a little bit from that just in the ski community, I think, because a lot of the skiers ski together. But tell us about that period of time. I mean, like, if you show up to a world tournament, Team USA means business, and and it it was it was pretty, it was pretty strict on. Uh, hey, we're here to win the gold medal and get out of here. Just want to get your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, I I do remember growing up as a kid, and I think the first time I made the the US ski team, I was, it was like on my fifteenth birthday, so I was I was pretty young, and I recognized pretty quickly that. It was harder to make the U.S. team than sometimes than it was to win a medal in the world championships just because there were so many great skiers here. So you had to go into the team trials like team trial year, do or die. I mean, yeah. if you're hurt, too bad. We're not taking the last 10 tournaments where you were amazing. Right. <laughs> you didn't have a sprained ankle, which you're going to get over within a week. But nope, that was that was the way it was. So there was, you know, intense pressure, which the sport is like that anyway. You go out and fall around your first buoy on your first pass, you're done. No practice. So. It's a, it was a lot like that. And I also think that, can you excuse me one second? Oh, sorry. It was my dog. I thought I wanted Oh, don't worry. <laughs> I wanted up. In, in a very intense pressure when you got to the world championships. And for instance, I remember the women's events used to be all before the men's. 
So by the time Sammy and Carl and Corey and Bob took to the took to the course, Dean and I had already fixed everything. We we we'd won jumping, we'd won slalom, we'd done well in tricks, and we were you know she usually was ahead of me in overall because she was a better trick skier, and I was kind of scraggling around there on third in overall. So the boys, we always handed it off to them in a in a really good way. And then you know from country to country, yeah, there was a lot of rivalry, but I think. In general, overall, broad brushing sports, it's a people who try it's it's very competitive, but it's a kinder, gentler way sure. than, it, than it was in the 80s. Yeah. I don't know how to I don't know how to describe it. That's a good it. way to say it. <laughs> you know, it's just people are they're just a little bit different in this in this kind of thing. So yeah, it was super fun. And we were handed, our generation was handed an undefeated US ski team. And mm. when we all retired, we handed over. An undefeated us very cool we were not going to let that uh, happen on our watch no very 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 cool well i wanted to ask you this statement if you could complete the end of the sentence i water ski because i love it i love the physical pleasure of it i love being outside i love being in the uh you know summertime i mean there's nothing better than being on a boat with all of your friends and going out and water skiing that's why i water ski Awesome. Awesome. Well, Camille, this has been an amazing podcast and I, I want to give you a handoff. I know you're doing a lot of real estate and some people may be interested in what you said in this podcast and want to find you. Where can they contact you? Well, I live in a small town near Lake Tahoe called Truckee, California. Um, I work primarily in California on the north and west shores of Lake Tahoe and then all of the ski resorts here. I work with Sotheby's International Realty, which is to me, one of the best global brands in, in the world. I'm able to pick up the phone and call anybody anywhere and have my clients taken care of. And I will do the same for any of my colleagues that, that uh, send me their clients here. So yeah, I'm at uh, Sierra Sotheby's Realty in Truckee, California, or you can look at my website, which is Camille Duvall sells Tahoe.com. Okay, yeah. perfect. Well, Camille, I don't think this is the last time we're going to have you on the podcast. I have a feeling I got some ideas down the road. So <laughs> I thank you so much for joining us today. And it was really cool to see all the pictures that you were able to make the 50th reunion at Jack's and uh, just to have you involved in, in the sport and everything you've done for the sport. I want to thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was well, my, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> what? Until next time, we're signing off. Thanks for listening and come back and catch future episodes as we chat with water ski legends and current stars from each of the sports disciplines as we celebrate 100 years of water skiing. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central Florida. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'll see you next time.